Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We shall be looking at chapter 12. Not chapter 12. Verse 12 in chapter 1. Now Paul is writing the book of Philippians while he is in prison. And back in those days, if you were in prison, you were imprisoned by the Romans. And so he was in a Roman jail, and it is believed that this was his first time. He was in prison twice by the Romans. The second time, they were going to release him, and he appealed to Caesar. And the way the system was back then, if you were a Roman citizen, anybody in the Roman Empire could appeal to Caesar as the final judge, and it is believed that Paul did that so that he could get before Caesar and witness to him. So jails back in the day, back in Paul's day, were not like the jails today. Uh, There are various TV shows about how rough jails are. But if you were a, not a Roman citizen, let's say you were an escaped slave or you were a murderer or something major like that, if you were um, condemned by the Roman people before execution, they would put you in a dungeon underground with no windows and they would chain you between two guards. So you would be sitting down against a wall with a guard here and a guard here, and just to make sure that you were in pain and bothered, they would take a large log and put it across your knees, across your legs, so you couldn't even stand up. And then these um, guards would have shifts, but you would not. And if you wanted to eat, you would have to have friends bring you food because the guards would have no desire to feed you. And so there were no civil rights for prisoners, as it were. But Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a Roman citizen by birth. And so he gets a little different treatment also because he was not, con- he was not condemned of any particular crime that the Romans could figure out. It says in this passage that, um, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so... It was a philosophical, political sort of situation, and so Paul was not put in a dungeon. Paul was actually allowed to rent his own apartment. He was still confined because he was chained to one guard. He wasn't chained to two. He was chained to one, and he did not have a log across his legs. He was allowed to actually come and go, but he was considered confined because he was chained to a guard and the guards had four hour shifts and so he would have 
guards change throughout the day. And from our point of view, we say, what a great opportunity for Paul. From their point of view, it was duty and it was something they had to do. We know from the book of Acts in his second imprisonment, he lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense, renting an apartment, and he welcomed all who came to him. And so the idea that we get from the book of Acts and the book of Ephesians and the book of Philippians is that Paul would actually hold church services. He would have people come and have Bible studies. And of course, you have a captive audience. You have Mr. Guard always there chained to you. And so he would have to sit there and listen to the singing and the Bible study and the preaching and all that kind of stuff. And then he would switch out every four hours. But there would always be a guard after everybody left. And you have to imagine, if you will, the conversations that would take place of Paul, of this guy who had seen this church service or whatever, and he was able to speak with Paul one-on-one. And so the understanding is, the belief is, that it was a great opportunity for the spreading of the gospel. And so on one hand, you have Paul's in prison. Now, if you were to pick up Paul when he was a young boy, learning about the Jewish faith and all that kind of stuff, and you said, we're going to make you a missionary to prison, he probably would have thought that was the most insane thing ever. He wanted to be on the Sanhedrin. He wanted to teach in the synagogue. He wanted to be somebody, as he says in the book of Galatians, And that is what Paul was going for, but God has different ideas. And when you look at a a prison situation like this, Paul comes at it from a view, from a lens, from a paradigm. And that is he looks at everything in his life as the advancement of the gospel. So he starts... In verse 12, I want you to know, this is a way of saying pay attention. This is a way of saying uh, do not misunderstand me. He says that what has happened to me, and we know that's imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. And so he's saying whatever I do, whatever book I read, whatever country I go to, whatever meeting I go to at a synagogue, whatever I do, I will always interpret it as to how it advances the gospel. I will ask myself a question, he says, uh, does this advance the gospel or does it detract from the gospel? And if it detracts from the gospel... Paul's not going to do it, or he's going to minimize those activities, and he will advance the activities that advance the gospel. Now, Paul did not plan this. It's clear. You know how you can read the secular documents of ancient Rome. Nobody plans on getting arrested and put into a Roman jail. There are 
TV shows and movies about people who, who do these great undercover acts inside of a prison and then their handler gets killed or something and nobody knows they're in the prison and the hijinks abound. Paul did not, was not this way. He did not plan it. He did not look forward to it. He knew that standing for Christ would have put him in a bad situation with the Jewish leadership. And some of the Jewish leadership, especially those that crucified Jesus, were in cahoots with the Roman governor. With, uh, they were trying to quid pro quo with the Romans to keep the peace. And that's one reason or one way that they were able to manipulate the Romans into killing Jesus. And so when you look at this and you say, well, this is a bad situation. This is a difficult situation. I can never imagine myself being put into a Roman prison, as it were, in which none of my rights would be taken care of. It was all up to the emperor back then. There was no... Today we have a piece of paper we call the Bill of Rights. And these are things that we wave in the face of the government all the time, saying, look, it says I can do this, it says I can do that, it says I can do this, and that kind of spoils us as Americans. They didn't have any of that back in ancient Rome. Emperor was the law, and whatever Caesar felt like today, that is what would happen. And so to put Paul in prison, you have a situation where he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how long this is going to last. He doesn't know how he's going to be treated. And as I said, this is not something he looked forward to. But look at it from God's point of view, and we can kind of do that because we have the book with some of the answers in it. God has the desire to save a large section of the Praetorian Guard. Now, the Praetorian Guard was a group of 10,000 elite soldiers who were Caesar's personal army, his bodyguards. He would always have several hundred Praetorian Guard in the palace. And they were stationed throughout Rome to be Caesar's eyes and ears. Now because Paul was a Roman citizen, because Paul was not, it was, it was a very political prison, you know, he, was in, he was in prison because of Christ. Emperor has no idea who Christ is at this point, and so it is seen as a political or it's seen as a philosophical imprisonment, which didn't make sense to the Romans, and so they were very um, gentle, as it were, with Paul. And when they say, well, we're going to chain you to a guard, as is their practice, they chose the Praetorian Guard. They chose these elite fighting men. Some people had gotten into the Praetorian Guard just to get close to Caesar. They could buy, you could bribe your way in. You could also be a good soldier and, and do amazing things and be chosen to be in it. But this is not 
your normal draftees, as it were. These are people who have the ear of Caesar. These are people who live in a form of luxury, and they decide because they are more professional, they will chain Paul to the Praetorian Guard for our shifts throughout the day. And that's why he can say uh, in verse 13, so that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, praetorian guard, personal guards of the Caesar. <coughs> and so God says, well, I want to bring a missionary into the praetorian guard. I want, I want to save the praetorian guard. That's what God says, okay? How do I do that? Well, we might come up with all sorts of things, you know. We might tell God to put a billboard up or whisper in somebody's ears or send some dreams. Send some dreams to the Praetorian Guard and they will share it. And God says, no, the best way is to take a very educated, very wise, very smart missionary and put him right in the midst of them. In fact, chain him to one of them 24-7. And he does. And the answer is, uh, in 13, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So he's witnessing to these people. And you have people who have the Roman religion of multiple gods, the Greek religion of multiple gods, where... In, in, in Roman religion, there's no God there who loves you. There's no God there who's going to sacrifice for you. The gods that they had in their pantheon were there for the purpose of using and tricking humans into getting what they want out of them. And so there's no fulfillment in Roman religion. And you have professional soldiers here who probably have no fulfillment in their job, in their lives. You see, it was a monotonous sort of life. And then you have somebody who can answer all of your questions. Paul was not the type, as we can see from his writings, to ever say, I don't know. To ever say, let me look it up. He was an encyclopedia of religious knowledge of the Jewish religion. And then God took him on the road to Damascus and focused all of his intelligence onto Christ. And he went, I mean, exponentially into the knowledge of Christ and studying every time that if he wasn't preaching... If he wasn't in jail, he'd be studying 24-7 about who Jesus is. And so you have these people who have questions that we couldn't even, even imagine. And Paul is answering every single question. God, uh, Paul is answering every single objection they have and leading them one by one by one to Christ. And then what happens? So you've got these elite soldiers. Many of them are rich. They get choice assignments. And this guy gets led to Christ with Paul. 
and he goes over to the barracks, goes over to the mess hall, and they say, well, how was your assignment? He says, well, let me tell you. And he tells them about Paul, but then he tells them about Christ. And you can imagine that there are now people volunteering to be chained to Paul because he has all the answers. Because every single concern, every single objection, every single problem that they come up with, Paul says, well, here's Christ, and here's what Christ can do for you. And so the idea that this is a difficult situation or a problem, it is if you're looking at Paul's comfort. But Paul is looking at his life with how does it advance the gospel? Everything that he's in, he asks the question, does this advance the gospel or does it hinder the gospel? And I don't know how long it took, maybe a day, maybe four hours. I don't know how long it took for him to realize that, hey, this is a great advancement of the gospel. That these hardened elite soldiers are getting saved. And if they're getting saved, then people in the palace are getting saved then their servants and slaves are getting saved. Then throughout the Roman Empire, people are getting saved all because one guy was chained to one guard for four hours. And that one guy had all the answers. And so this one guard, and it just grew and grew and grew like that. And so... When you, when you look at this, you have to ask the question, well, why does God choose to do things like this? And several of the commentators that I wrote, read talk about John Bunyan. John Bunyan was born in 1628 in England. Now, at this time, you have the Church of England. The head of the Church of England is the king. Now, the king is not the most religiously educated person in the world. He may not even be the smartest person in the world, but they put him in charge of the Church of England. And so the Church of England began to get more and more corrupt and more and more um, self-centered around the king and what the king wanted to do. And it is through this in the 1500s that the Reformation happened, and the Reformation was against not only the Church of Rome, but the Church of England. When we hear about Puritans and what were the Puritans trying to do, well, they were trying to purify the Church of England because it had gotten very political, very money-oriented. And John Bunyan was one of those people. He grew up in the Church of England. He became a preacher and he became a very popular preacher and he preached the Bible. He preached salvation by uh, faith through Christ alone, not the Church of England. And so they didn't like it, so they put him in jail. And so what did he do? He went out to the courtyard and he started preaching. And the townspeople would come and set up benches outside the wall of the, of the 
prison so that they could hear him preach. And they said, oh yeah? So they put him in the deepest, darkest dungeon part of the prison. And so what did he do? He wrote a book, and he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. And if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you must read Pilgrim's Progress. It is an amazing book of the journey of a Christian, a character called Christian, who goes through his life toward salvation. And he was able to sneak out copies of Pilgrim's Progress. And even while he was alive, tens of thousands of copies of this were passed around throughout town until today. It is one of the most popular books. It is one of the most printed Christian books that is out there, and it is even made into a movie and, uh, you know, various things. Pilgrim's Progress, an amazing book. And so Paul looks at this, <coughs> and we look at it and say, whatever the world does against the gospel, God is going to win. God has been winning since the beginning of time. We look at Adam and Eve and we go, ah, they really messed stuff up. We look at, you know, Noah and Noah gets drunk and he goes, ah, that really messed stuff up. And we can point to all these things and in our mind we can say, I wouldn't do it that way or that really messed it up. But every step of the way, God wins and God is winning God is winning today, and God will continue to win. I have listened to many podcasts, and there are even sermons about how people are beating down God's plans today, that God is in many ways not winning because they want a society that is righteous, and they want a society that is God-centered like they believe it was in the past. But God doesn't win that way. God does not look at us and say, how do I win? God has a plan that goes from eternity past to eternity future, and God is going to enact that plan. And if God wants to save an elite fighting force... He can take his favorite missionary and put him in jail so that he will witness to this elite fighting force and large sections of Rome get saved. When you look at the book of Romans, if you study the history of the book of Romans, Paul, when he wrote it, had never planted any churches in Rome. He had never preached any sermons in Rome. But because of his work of being in jail, because of uh, other people that have gone to Rome, he heard that people were getting saved and people were getting saved in numbers. And even though he did not plant the churches like he did in Philippians, he had to write a book to explain what Christianity is to all these Christians he's never met. To all these Christians, he didn't know how they, what was preached to them. And that's why Romans is very boom, 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 boom. Very linear 
to correct any errors that may have happened in the Roman church. While you have Philippians as a very personal letter, because he knows these people. He planted that church. He witnessed to them directly. And what he's saying is, I've been put in prison and God is still winning. I've been put in prison and people are getting saved. And so being in prison is therefore a good thing. He doesn't make light of it. He doesn't joke about it. It's still prison. He's still in prison. But it's a good thing because Christ is being preached. And he says because of this, because of his prison, people are responding in two different ways. He says Christ is being preached more often and everywhere. And there seems to be two primary motivations. He said there are those who do it because of envy and strife. And you say, why would anybody envy somebody who's in prison? But if you look at what Paul's talking about, he is gaining fame. Okay? He's not really getting rich that we can see but he's gaining fame. <coughs> he is famous throughout the Roman Empire. And there are people who say, I'd like to be famous throughout the Roman Empire. And so they start preaching. They aren't saved, but they start getting Paul's letters and standing up in front of people and reading them and giving some ideas about what it means. And that is out of envy. They want what Paul has. Paul has fame. Rumors that maybe Paul had money. But he definitely had fame. And there are people who say, I want to be famous too. If you talk to the young people of today and say, what's the number one thing you want? The answer is fame. People want to be famous today, okay? They want to be known by other people. That is human nature. 2,000 years ago, people wanted to be famous. They wanted to be known by other people. They felt that that would bring them fulfillment. And so they look at it and they say, well, I could be a soldier like this person or I could be, you know, an accountant like this person. But wait a minute, Paul not really doing anything but getting arrested, is now very famous, and so they want to be like Paul. They want to be famous. They want to have what Paul has, which is the envy part. Others do it out of strife. They feel that Paul is moving a movement that is anti-Jewish, that is an illegal movement in the Jewish religion, and therefore, they want to cause division. So they're getting up and they're preaching Christ their way, even though they're not saved. They're doing it for the wrong motives, okay? They're doing it out of envy. They're doing it to destroy. And Paul's saying, even these open-air preachers who are reading his letters, who don't believe a word of it, people are listening to them and getting saved. 
that the Word of God is being preached even by people who don't know what they're talking about and people are getting saved. People are preaching to destroy the work of Paul and people are hearing them and getting saved. And Paul doesn't say this is how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. I don't recommend that you go and sit under a false teacher because you will get saved. But God can use anything. God is using anything. God is using the most vile motives. God is using unsaved people who talk about Christ to speak to people's hearts and getting them saved. Paul says there are others who start preaching because they want to support Paul, because they love Paul, because they love God. So you have people who are preaching out of envy, you have people who are preaching out of strife, and you have people who are preaching out of love, and God is using all of that and Paul's imprisonment to get people saved. No matter how much we try, we cannot thwart the work of God. God is going to get people saved in spite of us. In spite of people, God is going to get people saved. God is going to fill heaven in his own way, no matter what we do to stop it. Even though we say, but I'm trying to help. But we're not helping. God is, going, God is doing all the work. We're just coming along for the ride. And so God takes one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the world and puts him in prison to get guards saved and people respond by preaching out of envy or strife and God uses that. And Christianity spread like wildfire around the Roman Empire no matter what people did God still won. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we just praise you that you win, that you are going to get people saved, that there's nothing we can do to stop you, and Lord, we praise you for that. I pray that we will be willing to stand up and participate, but even if we don't, we know that you will win. And Lord, we praise you for that. And we ask your blessing upon the meal to follow and the remainder of the day. We ask this in the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.